Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Monday, June the 20th. As the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 18, the last number of verses, where it is Abraham who intercedes for Sodom. And it's, it's a fascinating text because it starts with a certain number. And you're like, well, how about 50? How about 30? How about 20? How about 10? And it is the confidence that Abraham has to go to his Lord and the confidence that he has that the Lord will answer his prayers. And may we have that same confidence because of Christ. And that's why we want to look at this with fresh eyes. We can get really caught up in what happens to Sodom. We can get really caught up to, you know, predestination or election or these kind of questions that God really planned this out, whatever it might be. But let's stick to the plain text and may we see Christ. As I always say, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome Pastor Steve Naylor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Grangeville, Idaho. Pastor Naylor, happy Pentecost and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you very much. Uh, It is a great time to be here, so I appreciate it. You bet. Pastor, this is our... First time together, so introduce yourself and the work of the Saints at Trinity. Uh, well, I'm obviously Steve Naylor, pastor here at uh, Trinity Lutheran Church in Greenville, Idaho. Uh, I've been here for about a year now. It's a great group of people. Um, we do a lot of things in the, the, the community, especially with our veterans um, and some other things that we do. Um, yeah, it's been a fun experience being here for the last year. I moved here. I'm originally from Florida. My last congregation was in uh, the Tampa, Florida area. And I found out that there are places in this world that uh, seem to get snow almost every single month of the year. Um, but, but it's been a good time. Uh, you know, God has been very uh, good and faithful, not only to the people here, but uh, uh, he has blessed me with uh, being able to have met my betrothed. And in September, I'm going to be getting married. And uh, we actually just, moved all of her stuff uh, into my place. She's moving in after the wedding, obviously. But uh, members of the congregation have blessed me by uh, having many helping hands uh, yesterday whenever we had moved everything. So it was was good to be a a part of that and a group of people here at the church that are just loving and uh, are very hungry for the word and for the sacrament as well. Well, that's great to hear. It's a good reminder for us. Well, first of all, to pray for Pastor Naylor and his uh, fiance as they get married in September. And secondly, just, you know, uh, how can we as a church help each other out? Because I heard one time, I think it was President Harrison, who spoke about how, you know, that grace and mercy and love that we share with one another, it literally does bubble over into the community. That this is not just like, oh, I help my pastor, therefore that's all it is. But no, people see that, they witness that, they participate in that, and it's a witness to them of saying, this is what I can do for other people. So it's it's great to hear that. Um, as it, May the Lord uh, bless and keep you as, I'm guessing there's a lot of details you still have to work out. So the Lord, the Lord bless you as we as you uh, as you continue and prepare. And Pastor, as we have uh, started talking about prayer, how about you pray for our time and ask His blessings as we study His Word? 
Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. My Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the day you've given to us. Lord, you have blessed us in so many aspects, not only in our personal lives, but you've given us a wonderful thing called Scripture. And it makes a testimony to you and uh, your Son, Jesus Christ. Because as we know, all of Scripture revolves around your Son, the Christ. So as we go through this text today, which can be interesting at times, we ask that you uh, allow our hearts and minds to be open so that we can focus on you, your word, your justice, your mercy, and your grace. We ask this in your Son, Jesus the Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email. Uh, KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. How we'll start today is just simply by hearing the word of our Lord. This text is something that I remember um, learning as a kid. It's, it's interesting because we didn't quite learn the next part, but we did learn this part. And so it, it does di- deep dive into something that we you know think about with prayer, about God, about his mercy and grace, and also uh, how this end kind of leaves us with a little bit of discomfort. But like I said before, as we hear these words, we pray for the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds that we may see Christ and more fully understand his grace and mercy. So begin in verse 22 of chapter 18, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord Yahweh. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord Yahweh said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am I, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord Yahweh went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is our text for this morning. Uh, Pastor, how do you want to start us off? Like you said, this can be quite an interesting text to study, but tell us, uh, how do you want to start us off? Well, as I said, this is going to be very interesting because um, now I know we're focusing on this section. I don't want to go too much into the, uh, the, the actual events of Sodom and Gomorrah, but when you look at the, the especially the two chapters here, it's interesting because it will make it for a, a fantastic movie. You know, <laughs> and you think about all the the destruction and everything else is being promised. And then all of a sudden it, it you know, as we see it in the next chapter, uh, it happens and it's, we're like, yes, the bad guys finally got it. The good guys, you know, they're okay. 
um, they were rescued, all this kind of stuff. And it just, to me, just, it'd be, it, Hollywood be, uh, be remiss if they did not eventually make this and actually do a good version of this, not like their Noah um, uh, movie that they did. Um, so that's a, that's a whole other discussion for another time. It is, it is. And we did, and we did cover that a little bit when we went through Genesis 6 through 8 is, is just kind of like, okay, they didn't get this right, but they kind of got that right, and they really didn't get that right. So we probably shouldn't depend on Hollywood to get Sodom and Gomorrah right either. That would be a problem. So, but anyways, it would this make... This is probably true. They probably leave out some very key elements. <laughs> anyways, so, so Pastor, anything before this passage? Because, you know, we, 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 we studied uh, Luke 18, 1 through 21 before with Pastor Phil Boo on Friday, and so that was that was a fascinating read too. Anything you want to share before this point? Um, well, I do find it interesting that all of a sudden we are we are um, coming into this context where you know there's a lot of stuff going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, God is just ready to bring His uh, justice on these people. Mm. Um, but these are the same people that, in I think it was chapter fourteen, uh, Abraham went and saved. Um, right, right. And so they have, they have witnessed, you know, mercy, they've witnessed grace. Uh, and then they just all of a sudden go back to, yeah, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And it got bad. It got really bad as we see in 19. Um, but it's just phenomenal to see the transition. And we see this, and this is interesting because it, it comes into our own lives and we'll get to that in a bit, but we just, we often see this, this horrible, a sin that just happens and everything else. And we just kind of forget, you know, that uh, God is a God of justice, just as he is a God of mercy and grace. Um, I think that's one of the things that we do often forget is we have this God is love mentality, which he very much is, but we also forget that uh, he is a just and merciful God as well. Um, and I think that's the other uh, side of this, this uh, text too, is that, you know, we see this kind of, I don't want to say bargaining. Abraham may have seen it in that, but as you had mentioned, this is, this is him basically lifting up in prayer these, these individuals, which is also interesting because Abraham has kind of been, uh, I, don't, I forget the word that's used, but basically he, he kind of stays off away from everybody else. And then all of a sudden God's like, I'm going to destroy these people. And all of a sudden Abraham's like, well, all of a sudden he seems to be caring about other people. Right. You know, not that he didn't before, but he's, he's very isolationist. That's the word. Isolationist. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so all of a sudden he's just like, wait, there's these people, you know, and I'm sure he's heard some of the stories that have come out, especially after he had helped, you know, um, rescue these people and stuff like that. And yet here he is, you know, going on behalf of these wretched people, you know, the horrendous things that they have done. I mean, you know, uh, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very great. What it says in verse 20 of eight, uh, chapter 18, and it's just, it's all over the place. And yet here is Abraham, instead of saying, you know what, these people can go do their thing, you know, Hey God, how about 50? You know, how about, how about this many? How about 45? You know, how about 40? And we get all the way to 10 and all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, there's gotta be at least 10 people, you know, because we right. see a lot is living among them. So we're assuming that he is, you know, um, I think Luther made the, the, the point that Lot was probably 
um, kind of preaching to the people and stuff like that. And we know that they've had interactions with Abraham. And uh, so we, you would think that there's more than, you know, 10 people in the town that would be considered righteous. And yet there weren't. And that, and that goes um, on to a, that goes on to a number of, different questions of what does it mean to be righteous? This is quite a Genesis theme. You know, you look at that uh, Abraham is has faith and therefore it's counted to him as righteousness. We see this in Hebrew, uh, excuse me, it, it, see in Genesis 15, we see this in Hebrews. Uh, so you have that question, which I, we will dig into as we go. We don't want to quite do that yet. And also right before, like you said, it is really bad. You don't have to go to chapter 19 to see how bad it was, even though that's really, really bad. But it says in chapter uh, 18, verses uh, C20, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. You know, notice he didn't say, ooh, those are some bad people. He says, very grave. And he says, well, I'll go down and see what I can do. And Abraham goes from this guy hanging out by the oaks of Mamre in the heat of the day, you know, just hanging out and his wife's making some cakes. They're kind of laughing about the possibility of having a child to full bore. I'm going to plead for those people down there, which happens to be my nephew lives there as well. But it had to be more than just I want to save my nephew. But he was trying to plead for the Lord and his mercy to be upon the people that uh, the, all people, I mean, this is, I mean, we hope we have the same kind of mercy, right? On all people that our Lord to be merciful, mm-hmm. especially those in the faith. So pastor, anything else before we start digging in? Well, I'll just add this too, is, you know, it's interesting to see how we, as I said, in 14 and chapter 14, we see, you know, God's mercy. Um, and then we see the justice that is going to be uh, brought out. But you had just mentioned um, when they were talking about children, here we have uh, Sarah who just uh, started laughing mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, because he's like, you know, is this really going to happen? I'm kind of old and so is my husband type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then out of nowhere, you know, they, I forget what the, the text that it says that they said, but she, it says that she was afraid. And so she said, no, nah, I didn't do that. Um, okay. And instead of, you know, enacting just judgment or, or justice, if you will, there's a lot of mercy that is shown. So it's interesting to see how in this text we see a lot of that justice, mercy, and grace happening. Um, and it's just, it's littered all over. And for us as Lutherans, we love that, uh, you know, that long gospel that we see. And this is just, it's, it's permeating the text. And it's just interesting to be able to see. And I do think it's important for us to, as you said, that this God is a, is a just God. Because in our culture, we're always trying to find justice. And I think something that we all need to be careful about is, for example, when you say, I deserve X, you know, mm-hmm. um, whatever that might be that you desire. The, 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 the problem is, is how far are you going to go with that? You're like, well, I deserve this pay raise. Okay, so let's, you know, have people really seen how you spend your workday? You know, all those, like, how far are you can go with this deserving thing? Or there must be justice for X. And the problem is, what kind of justice are you talking about? Like if you're talking about that they deserve this, whatever this might be, well, that might be true. But at the same time, if you want true justice, if you want to go down that road, then what they really deserve is death and damnation. You know, this is a biblical Mm -hmm. reality for each one of us. We have to be careful when we ask for God's justice to be done because that might not end well, especially if we are not doing, like you said, the law of gospel, um, 
Christ covering the scriptures. If you don't have that, then then you better be careful with your justice words because you might not like the result. So any any thoughts on justice? Like you you said that many times. I like how you did it. Is because that's an important well, theme. Go ahead. Okay, I've got a I've got a great analogy that I've used before, and I'll, I'll use that in a second. But it's interesting what you were talking about. It's kind of that uh, modern we word we use as entitlement. You know, I am entitled to this, even though we're not. You know, we see um, some of this with the we see it all the time with the Israelites. You think of uh, Joshua whenever they went to Jericho, they won, uh, and then um, uh, the, de- the gentleman's name escapes me at the moment. But where he, you know, takes some of the, uh, the the goods, if you will, and they lose the next battle, you know, it's like, well, what, what happened, you know? But there was consequences of what you know had been done. Um, but we see the sense of entitlement all the time. We look at uh, Job, who's just my favorite book, you know, and we look at him and say, man, he he did everything right, da da da, all this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden we realize, well, no, he he's not entitled to anything. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was righteous in the eyes of God, but you know we're all still sinners. And so we all still deserve, you know, God's judgment, um, uh, and his justice that is done. So the, the, what I use often use in Bible studies and stuff like that is how do we, ex- how do we explain justice, mercy, and grace? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So this will hopefully help understand where I'm coming from with this. So, uh, I'm sure you have never done this. I know I've never done this in my entire life, but, uh, um, whenever someone speeds in a car, you know, um, you speed in the car, you get pulled over. What is justice? Justice, you get a ticket, you pay the ticket, you pay the fine, you get the points, et cetera, et cetera. That's justice being done. It doesn't matter if you're going 50 miles an hour over the speed limit or if you're going a mile over the speed limit. The law says this is what the law is, and so justice is being served. We don't like that at all. Mercy is when the officer pulls you over, and uh, he goes to give you a ticket. He says, you know what? Just don't do it again. You know, I'm going to let you off with a warning this time. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever that happens, I really appreciate that mercy. That's right. That's um, right. <laughs> so, but grace, grace is, grace is something obviously much more powerful. And so what I say about this is grace is you're speeding, you get pulled over, the officer gives you a ticket, and you go to pay the fine and take the points, but you find out, that the officer is actually the one who paid that fine mm. and took those points. And that is just as mercy and grace because grace is Christ actually going and taking our punishment upon himself. Um, whereas justice is, you know, it has to be done, you know, by typically, as we know, we do something wrong. We deserve to get that justice or that judgment, if you will. Um, and so, so that's the way I kind of look at that um, in those terms. But again, we see this justice here where they have done some horrendous things. They are doing horrendous things. And it's time. It's time for them to receive justice. Um, they have been warned. I'm sure Lot has warned them. Abraham, I'm sure, has warned them. And, you know, and it's very reminiscent, actually, very interestingly enough, of where Abraham is trying to intercede for the Sodom and uh, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's hoping and praying that you know um, forgiveness can be found, that you know uh, mercy can be found, and stuff like this. And yet we see that it's not able to happen. Whereas we look at say Jonah, where God is like trying to send Jonah to the Ninevites to bring that same message, uh, so that way they don't have to perish in judgment as well. 
And the difference is, is that we have Jonah who's like, I, I don't want these people to Yeah. You know, right. um, you know it's, to me, it's always been a fascinating story with Jonah because I, the way I've always envisioned it is he goes into the city and just basically goes, you know, whispers, repent, leaves, goes up to the hill and is waiting for the fireworks. Um, and as we know, the entire turn, the entire town or the city turns uh, toward God. And instead of rejoicing, um, like I know Abraham would have, yeah. um, and a lot obviously would have, instead it was um, Jonah saying, this, this, is, this is horrible, you know. I want to see justice happen and it's not happening. Instead, they saw mercy and God's grace. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's, this is one thing I love about scripture is that it's full of what I call spider web. You know, you can see um, other parts of scripture, but specifically you see Christ in all of this. Mm. Um, you know, and in this right now we have, again, Abraham who is interceding uh, for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, hoping and praying that, you know, something can be done. And so he brings it up to God and, and, you know, God's like, you know what, for 50, I'll spare him. You know, 45. Okay. No problem. 30. All right. Yeah, I'll do that too. 20. Sure. 10. Okay. 10 people in these cities. I will not destroy. Um, and the thing is, is that's the beauty of God's grace too, is that if there were intent found to be righteous, he wouldn't have destroyed them. Right. You know, that's the power of his pro- promises and the power of his covenants is that he sticks to it. You know, we see, you know, how horrible this was that they were doing. And we don't see a worldwide flood like we do with Noah. You know, again, that promise of that rainbow that he would never destroy, you know, the world in a flood again. Um, but we do know that still justice has to happen and sometimes punishment has to happen. And again, it's just this idea that we don't like seeing at all um, because no one likes to be told that they're doing something wrong. Right. Um, but, you know, we often, as I've heard members of congregations say before, and I'm sure I've said it when I was a child, is the Old Testament man, God is just a, a mean guy. You know, he's just full of vengeance and, you know, everybody's just getting, you know, smacked down left and right. And then, well, that we look at, uh, you know, the gospels, and, you know, all the things that we see and yet, you look at the book of Revelation, we still see judgment happening. We still see, you know, people being called out for what they're doing. I mean, you know, look at the Judaizers and Paul and, you know, everything else. You know, we see the the disciples, you know, kind of getting told that you need to chill out a little bit um, and to be able to go from there. But it's just like, I said, it's just riddled all over the place. And it's fascinating to be able to see. Um, and so, Pastor, as yeah. we look at this, Let's read a little bit, because you've given us a lot of broad strokes to look at, because it really is, to make that connection with Jonah and Job, you've spoken of that too, and and now looking at Genesis, that it is something for us to remember is, although the the end of this was not what we would say mm, the ideal situation it was also not a worldwide flood because he made a promise mm-hmm. that he would not do that. And mm-hmm. he keeps his promises and there he would have kept his promises here too, that if there were 10, we're good. You know, how that all works out and the whole dynamic of the mind of God. Well, that's up to him, but we know he keeps his promises and that's exactly what he did. So let's slowly mm-hmm. go through the verses here. We have a few minutes before our break as we just Look at this with fresh eyes. As we looked at the broader scope, now we get laser focused. So verse 22. 
So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and spare, not spare it for fifty righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord God said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So first things first here, Pastor, right before our time, you have the men, and those two those men are the two angels, historically we believe this, that were with the Lord Yahweh. They went down and they're kind of known as like the angels of destruction. It's kind of the, the dynamic of them, and we'll probably get more into that a little bit later in, in other chapters. But you have them, they go down, Abraham stands before the Lord. Right, and he pleads, and kind of break that down for us. What is what is his pleading, and what is what is Abraham doing with the Lord? With about a minute and a half before our break, I think what he's doing is he's just basically praying for um, those who are still um, righteous before God, those who still worship Him. You know, we never want to see. Take a look at the Book of Amos. We don't want to see the remnants to be destroyed with the uh, the unrighteous. Um, and so here he is, he's, he's basically saying, he's not even necessarily calling out the rest of the community, just saying, are you willing to destroy, you know, even just a few righteous um, along with those who deserve it? You know, would you be willing to spare everyone to save these individuals? Um, you know, and so I think that's what he's, what he's getting at, which obviously we can look at a Christological um, point of view, but it's this idea that he's going before God and saying, you've made these promises, you've made these covenants, you said that you will not leave your people, you will not destroy them. Are you willing to destroy them for the sake of everyone else, or are you willing to save them, um, you know, despite everyone else? And I think that, to me, is what's going on here. He's trying very hard to, to you know, express in, you know, his, his way of basically saying, you know, there's good people in there. You know, there are people who are righteous. Save them, you know. Yeah, and and... And with that, he does. He makes a move that you do see in Scripture, and I just have not done the study of this. So I would encourage you, our listeners, if you want to do a study on this reality, is when in Scripture the, the psalmist or, for example, here in Abraham and other places where basically it says, this is the kind of God you are, and I ask for you to be that kind of God. So it goes a little bit into the Lord's Prayer, you know, we know that God's will is done even without our prayer, but we pray that it may be done among us also. And this is a way that we can pray. Lord, as you are merciful, be merciful upon me. Or as you are merciful, be merciful upon others. Or I think of Psalm 25, um, one of my favorite psalms, by the way. That's why I remember it right off the top of my head. Is He says, re- verse 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me. So he's speaking in such a way like that, where he's like, this is the kind of God that you are. You are a just God, fully admitting that, well, these guys deserve it, But (laughs) your justice is different than the Supreme Court. What will you do for these 50? And then he says, okay, 
50 sounds good to me. Obviously, it's more complex than that, but that's basically what the text says. But Pastor, right now, we need to take our break. We'll dig into this a little more after our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 18 with Pastor Steve Naylor, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 18 with Pastor Steve Naylor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Grangeville, Idaho. And Pastor, there, there's so much that we could go through in verses 22 through 26. And I just want to, it's, it's interesting, and I, I think this is something that we have to dig in a little bit more. But one of my fascinations is that he says, you are a just God. And we did talk about, you know, what, what justice do they deserve? Well, you know, if we were looking at the judge, okay, you're going to get that ticket. Well, here, if you're going to judge, well, then guess what? You know, the Sodom and Gomorrah is, is gone right now. Like, there's, there's no pleading that Abraham could do to make this happen. However, God's judgment and justice is different than the American Supreme Court. You know, it's, it's a different kind of way of him looking at it. Obviously, even here... He's seen it through the lens of the Messiah. You know, even, even here he's doing that. So it's, it's just different. But I can't quite put my, finger, my hand around it because it is so different. It's hard to always um, put together. But any other thoughts on, on Abraham confidently pleading with the Lord as he did and justice or anything else? Yeah, well, I think, I think part of that is just because uh, Abraham also realizes that just as much as God is just God, He's also a merciful God. Ah, sure. You know, Abraham has seen this numerous times, and so he knows that you know even though justice should happen and and does happen, he also knows that God is a merciful God. And you know we see this all throughout you know the time of the Israelites and everything else. And Abraham sees like we just talked about with Sarah. You know she she knew it. she was afraid. You know she had fear because she knew who God was. And yet, you know, here God says, says, you know, you're just a horrible person, you know, for not believing whenever I say. Instead, he, he shows that mercy to her. Um, you know, so I think this is the, the thing is that we often, we look at justice, we look at uh, gospel, and sometimes we forget that merciful part. And this is where God says, you know what, um, for this I will do. And I think that's an important part of this text as well. It strikes me the confidence so clearly we see in chapter 18, the Lord comes before, <laughs> before Abraham and, and they eat in his presence. So it's not like Abraham is afraid of God. He, he fed mm-hmm. him, you know, Sarah made a whole bunch of cakes for this guy and for the two angels. They ate together. They talked together. Um, they were able to admit their own failings together, you know, so he's not afraid of the Lord, but there's a, I mean, this takes some real, you know, strength, uh, real confidence to be able to go before the Lord and ask such a thing. What do you think that tells us about Abraham and and his understanding of God? 
or reality of I God, think he was, or, yeah, not understanding who God is. I think God he was is. strong in his faith. Yeah, I think he was strong in his faith. I think he knows, you know, who God is. I mean, look at look at us. We know that, you know, that whenever we pray for something, God hears us. It may not always come out the way we want, but we know that uh, he hears us. We know we have a great intercessor in Christ. For Abraham, you know, he knew the promises that were already given to him. You know, he had full confidence, you know, that he will be heard. You know, but it's not an arrogant confidence. It's a confidence like uh, kind of like what we talk about with hope. You know, oftentimes we use that word hope as a wishy-washy, but hope is assurance. Mm. So I think Abraham had that assurance of knowing that God was willing to listen and that he was willing to, to do for his people as needed to be done. And I think that's why he was able to go uh, forward and with such confidence to be able to say that. Because, again, he, you know, as he says, you know, um, if, if I can just one more time, you know, um, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. You know, he, he understands he has that, that fear in terms of respect. He understands that, you know, who God is, but he's still willing to say, hey, you love your people. You have shown this time after time after time. You know, hear me out. Hear what I have to say. And this is where, you know, in the New Testament, there's just a lot about Abraham. You know, you have the, the great faith chapter in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 speaks about his faith. We hear Romans chapter 4, which we've referenced numerous times here as we look at Abraham. Uh, and it tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. And it speaks just, you know, that if, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast in, but not before God. Because he, he doesn't. He's not justified by works. He was always justified by faith. And this is where you see his faith in action. I don't really always like saying it that way, but that's, it's a true statement here, how you deny it. He, the faith um, is in action, in prayer. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go well, this direction here, Pat. Oh, you have something with that? Yeah, I was just going to say, well, and, and whose faith is it in? Whose action is it in? It's not in Abraham's action. It's in God's action. Right, right, you right. Know, it's mm-hmm. similar to the, the us, you know, again, with Christ. It's not in our work, not in our action. It's in Christ's action. So, again, oh. that's where he has that confidence is in the action of what God has already done and shown. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's not in himself. Um, so, and that's it's, my thought. And but, it's interesting. No, that's great. That's great. Because when we look at this, it bring, to me, uh, Dr. John Kleinig from Australia wrote a um, spirituality series Bible study. Yeah, right. You probably have met him. Um, uh, yeah. And he wrote a spirituality series on prayer. And he uses this as an, an example of how God has called us, the baptized, the believers, to believe that when we speak to him, he hears us as we confess in the small catechism as a as a father would hear his dear children. But that doesn't mean he just listens. It's kind of like there's times I know for me when I listen to my kids, well, I can't really do much about it, but I can listen to them and pray with them. Well, the Lord is different because not only does he listen, but he takes action, that he is one that listens and acts accordingly, answers those prayers in the way that he sees um, by his grace. And we see that here where he has such confidence to be able to speak to him and we see that God does answer prayer. And Pastor, why is this important for us to see how Abraham speaks to the Lord, that we, in Christ, are able to speak to the Lord in the same way? What are your thoughts on prayer and hearing uh, and, and looking at Abraham today for us? 
Well, again, I think it, it goes back to the idea that, uh, you know, it's in, into God's actions that we have that confidence. So, um, you know, for us today, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty in this world and the devil loves to be able to bring that uncertainty and doubt to us. But we look back throughout, especially scripture, and we see how God is always faithful to his people. Even in the uh, the face of destruction and judgment, you know, he is still faithful. Again, we look at, you know, what happens in the next chapter. We look at, you know, the remnant that, you know, is promised in, uh, in Amos. You know, we see, um, you know, even with the disciples that, uh, you know, um, they are still able to have that confidence in who Christ is. And so we too are able to have that confidence that whenever we go before, like Christ has told us to do, you know, that we're able to go forward and, and know without any um, doubt whatsoever that God hears us. And that's the, the, the nice thing too, is that um, we are able to go before God himself. We don't have to go through anyone else. You know, we don't have to jump through hoops or anything. We go directly to, you know, the guy who, you know, created all things, you know, the God who created all things, you know, we go straight to, you know, the son who saved us uh, of our sins. We go to, you know, the Holy spirit and the faith that he gives us, you know, we have all these amazing things, all these amazing promises that are given to us and God always delivers. And so for us who are, you know, in times of sickness, trial, you know, tragedy and, and torment or whatever it might be, whether it's physical or spiritual, we are able to go before the very throne room of God and being able to place these things at his feet, you know, in prayer, you know, and in that he gives us the assurance, not only of just what we see throughout scripture, but even in his body and blood, you know, we see him saying, this is how you know that I am, that I am, you know, who I say I am for you you know, drink, you know, the body and blood of Christ or, you know, the blood of Christ, eat the body of Christ, taking the physical manifestation, um, you know, if you will, of the forgiveness of sin, take it, chew it, swallow it and know it. And so in this, again, we are able to, because of just God, just keeping every single promise, just keeping in, you know, um, everything he has done and promised and all these things. And we can go boldly and confidently, whether it's, you know, the world telling us differently or Satan himself trying to deter us, we can hold it up and say, no, this is the God that we worship. You know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the one who has shown all throughout time and history that um, he has been there for his people. He has um, gone for them, even despite themselves. You know, um, he is still willing and able and continues to be there for his people. So in this, we can have that great confidence when we go and we say our nightly prayers, our daily prayers, those prayers of just outright, just shouting to God. You know, we see this in the Psalms all the time that we know that they can be heard. Again, not because I am worthy to be able to, to speak directly to God, but it is he who makes me worthy by calling me his son, you know, and so he says, hey, Stephen, I am here for you. I can listen to you and I am there for you and know this specifically, not just through all the things about the scripture, but I gave you the greatest treasure of mine, which was my only begotten son. And I was willing to sacrifice him uh, on a cross, but I raised him too so that you could have this freedom to be able to come and talk to me. And that is what it is all about is that, that confidence of knowing that 
you know, God the Father was willing to give his own son so that we could have that, we want to call it relationship, that uh, ability to dialogue with him, that ability to be able to be completely 100% assured that he listens to his people every single day, doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. He listens and he is there because he's promised and he shows that promise in his son and that death and resurrection. So we can come confidently. See, Abraham comes confidently in light of the Messiah to come. We Mm -hmm. can come confidently in light of the Messiah who has come and is coming again. And and that's really a a confidence reality. I was recently studying um, the idea of repentance in the confessions, our Lutheran confessions and the apology. There's a long story to that. That's why I'm studying. I don't just do this for fun. I I watch cartoons for fun, so that that's, everyone should know that right now. But is it, it just was interesting to me how the confidence we have in repentance is that we have a God. So when we repent of our sins by the power of the Holy Spirit, we confidently know that we are freely forgiven for the sake of Christ. And it's mm-hmm. that confidence that he comes that, that, you know, in light of the Messiah to come, and that we, in the same way, it relates to prayer. We can confidently become because we know we are freely forgiven on account of Jesus already. And so I think this is my encouragement to you listeners is to pray, <laughs> to pray in confidence, to pray that, that he, would, he would help you, that he pray for other people, lay them at the feet of Jesus. Um, we could spend a lot of time praying. And a lot of times what I hear people speak about and I want to hear your thoughts too here, Pastor Naylor, is people sometimes get a little bit antsy when you just bring up prayer because they're like, well, we got to do more than pray. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, if I'm praying all day and I'm not, my kids aren't eating a meal, well, okay, that, that, that's a problem. You know, we got to work on this. But I have not yet met a person who's so busy praying all the time that they don't do other vocations. If anything, it's the opposite. They're so busy doing vocations, they don't pray. So my encouragement to everybody is to pray. Pray a little more. Pray 10 minutes. Pray whatever it might be and do so confidently because we can come to his throne of grace upon grace upon grace. Pastor, any thoughts on that encouragement for our listeners to pray? Uh, Yeah, we actually just had a discussion about this the other day in our Bible class. And the big thing that I think people need to realize, too, is that, yes, we have a, a call to be good stewards of the different vocations that we have. But, you know, not everyone has the different gifts that sometimes we covet. You know, one example is, you know, the person who's able to go out to the street corner and, you know, proclaim Christ. That's a great gift to have, but it doesn't discount the gift of being able to simply be able to pray. And I say that simple, but it's, it's really a powerful thing. I mean, even Paul talks about this. You know, he says, thank you, know, to Philippians, he's like, hey, thank you for all these things, but it's your support, your prayers that I covet, that I want. You know, so thank you for this. And I think that's important for people to realize that prayer isn't just something that we just kind of frivolously throw away and, you know, or just do. It's something that is very powerful in the fact that we are able to have a direct line to God. So maybe he has given, you know, gifts in different areas. Great. But if nothing else, let us continue to pray for one another. And, and you know, not only you know, hope that we are able to pray for others, but that others are able to pray for us as well. I think that's the big thing that we need to remember is that, you know, we have this direct line to God himself and prayer is a means to do that with. And that's a great thing to be able to have. So whenever tragedy strike, whenever, you know, sickness strikes, 
whatever it might be, you know, even in times of joy and uh, celebration, we're able to still go before and say, thank you, God, or God be with us. Um, and there's more power in that than I think we give ourselves credit for, you know, give ourselves credit in the understanding of knowing what that is. Ah, very good. So, Pastor, let's let's move forward for a few verses, because okay. as we look at this, um, I want you to, I want you to answer this question after I read a few verses. Is is it reasonable to ask for fifty, for forty, for thirty? Is this reasonable, or is this like, you know, my home? I grew up. There was a town that literally had forty-five people, and so mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe forty-five is the number. Who knows? So let's we'll reflect on that after a few verses. Verse twenty-seven. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five, suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to them and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. I'm going to stop there. So he gives up, you know, there's some reasonableness tonight to this is saying, well, if there's 50, then uh, what difference does 45 make? What difference does 40 make or for 30? Pastor, I don't know if you've done research on this and I haven't done a ton of it, but maybe 50 was all the number of people there were, you know? So it's kind of like, oh, we'll find 50 righteous people. Well, there's 51 people. So it's a little bit unreasonable. Any thoughts on that based on your research? Uh, my guess is it was probably more than fifty people in those <laughs> cities. I mean, but but I think this is this is the idea of you know Abraham realized that you know he might be stretching a bit, but he also knew the the you know the the might of God's uh, mercy, and so and it's interesting that he says that um, I am but dust and ashes. He knew that he had no right to be able to ask these things, but again, it was the confidence in knowing what God has done up to this point. So he says, you know, if there's 50, will you do it? You know, will you be willing to, to save these people? And as, you know, spoiler alert, as we see um, in the next chapter, he still saves the righteous. Mm-hmm. You know, there may not have been 10 of them, but he still saves the righteous. Um, so I think it's very, you know, in the sense of him going on with the idea, of, you know, um, where is, you know, what has God done? I think that that's where it is reasonable for him to ask. You know, in our minds, we look at it like, oh, you know, there's a lot of bad people. You might as well just wipe them all out and just be on the safe side, you know. But again, this is where Abraham's like, yeah, I know I, I'm not worthy to ask these questions, but you have shown your love and mercy to, you know, your people before, and I know you will continue to do so. So for this sake, will you, you know, not destroy them? Um, so I think that, you know, in in our mentality, yeah, we can say he didn't have the right you know, because it was just a horrible situation. But again, in the eyes of God, I think it was a right thing, you know, a right thing to be able to ask. Because again, God loves His people. You know, this is this, you know, side note here a little bit, but it's the idea of you know, us praying for our enemies. You know, um, Abraham could have very well looked at these, you know, pagan people and said, you know what, just wipe them out. But instead, he also prays for his enemies. It's one of the hardest things we do is to pray for those who. Uh, who have wronged us or have done wrong to us or are just, you know, again, horrible people. You know, we look at, uh, I, I, we, this was brought up in the Bible study just recently too. You know, we look at, uh, um, you know, a guy like Hitler or Stalin or, you know, somebody like that. And we, well, I'm not going to pray for that person, you know, 
you know, I hope that they're burning. No, yes, as a human being, I want justice to be done, but we never want anyone to ever to suffer eternal damnation. So we still pray for our enemies, you know, it, and so it's important for us to remember, and that is again what Abraham is doing. And not only do I believe he's praying for the, the righteous that we, that he is hoping, but he's also praying for the unrighteous here as well, you know, because he doesn't want to see them be destroyed. Um, just as like he does not want to see the righteous to be destroyed with them. Um, so I don't know if that quite answers your question. But. Yeah, it, you know, it all comes down to this. It's just, you know, it comes down to his justice and mercy. And and 50 seems reasonable, even though it's probably, you know, I, I tried looking up a little bit the size. No one really knows, but it definitely was not a small city. You probably would right. incorporate Gomorrah within this realm, so there'd be various cities that surrounded them too. So one guesstimate said maybe 500,000, maybe 100,000. We don't really know. I would have to research it more with a little more reliable sources. But 50 is, is more than reasonable. It's kind of like going to uh, Sartell here. We have 25,000 people in Sartell or 100,000 people in the surrounding area. To say that there's 50 people who still believe in the Lord Jesus in this area you say that's pretty reasonable. That's pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, cause I would hope that there's more than 50, but maybe there isn't. So he narrows it down and Abraham has this feeling. He knows that their sin is grave. So he's like, I better lower this as far as I possibly can. So to this point, he has only said 30 and he realizes as he asks, he has no business in asking. So pastor, we have about six minutes left in our time. Uh, should we read the rest and then uh, get our last highlights in? Yeah, yeah, be good. All right, verse 30. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it for 30. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So, break this down. The last few verses as we look at the end of Genesis 18. Um, well, I, again, I just think it's, it's the idea of, you know, him trying to let the, in essence, let the righteous be able to save the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know there's a couple of righteous people in the town if you're willing to not just don't destroy the righteous, but, you know, save the unrighteous as well. They may not deserve it, but we ask that you save them as well. Um, and I think that, again, this is a very powerful thing to be able to see because, you know, if we look at the fact that we're asking a righteous person to, to basically save the unrighteous um, in this aspect of, you know, allowing them to be able to live, but we know that with Christ, it's the righteous the only righteous person to die for an unrighteous people. And that's us, you know, and this is the interesting thing about the text is that it's just, it's just being able to see that God is still willing to be able to be there for his people and that he will not destroy them. You know, we know that in revelation, whenever the end happens, that those who are without faith, those who are without Christ, you know, they will be destroyed. Um, you know, there will be separation. The the text we had uh, back in May had mentioned, you know, um, the idolaters and everything else being outside of the, I think it was like the city gates, uh, the, the city wall, you know, New Jerusalem. It, well, they will not be allowed in. But here, once again, before that happens, we see that idea of, you know, 
bring your mercy, you know, show them grace. Um, allow, allow those who, you know, the, the remnant of, you know, maybe 10 people being able to, to live and not only for them to live, but they were also able to, uh, to save these unrighteous people, mm. you know, and it's just, it's an interesting thing to be able to see again as, you know, I don't want to take from the next guest who follows this, but, you know, we see one man, his daughters and, you know, his wife flee. So let's just say that one man survives, you know, he was righteous and, you know, and the unrighteous was destroyed. And yet at the same time, it's, you know, because of the righteous man and the unrighteous um, were able to live, you know, and that's Christ. And, you know, again, we are able to go forth and say, hey, you know, for the sake of one, you've been able to save others. And that was Christ. He was, you know, the one was able to, you know, the one righteous person was able to save the unrighteous. And through that, we have, you know, that forgiveness and salvation. And that's, I think, is what's kind of being done here, that idea of um, for these few righteous, would you save the rest? Uh, um, so we're able to look at this as a lot, as a type of Christ. Is that, what we're, is that kind of what you're leading towards? Or how would you, how would you break that down? Um, I guess you of, could argue that. Yeah, type of Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would probably just say it's, it's the idea that, you know, one, one righteous person um, was able to escape from destruction. And go. all the those who deserved it was given destruction. Gotcha. Um, that's whereas, good. That's good. Yeah, whereas Christ, who is the righteous, he was the one that was destroyed. And in his destruction on that cross, you know, we those who are unrighteous were given life. You know, um, now ultimately we know that, you know, Satan did not win, you know, that it was Christ on that cross who actually conquered sin, death, and the devil. We see this made manifest uh, not only in his word that it is finished, but also on that Easter Sunday. Um, and so that's where I'm, I'm looking at it from that point of view. And, you know, it's just, it's interesting to see how this kind of stuff happens where all of a sudden we have the righteous being able to flee where the unrighteous are getting their just desserts to, you know, it is, um, he who is righteous is not able to, you know, he willingly, as it says, going as a land to the slaughter, he is willing to go and be destroyed on a cross so that the unrighteous can live. So it's this very interesting, almost opposite effect. Um, and so that's, that's what I, I love about this particular text is you go into, hey, you know, we know you love your people. We know you love your righteous. Will you be willing to, you know, if there's 10, can you please just allow it to, you know, for these 10 people to be able to thus save everyone else. Um, whereas for Christ, it is this one person who doesn't deserve any of it. He's going to go and be the one that is, uh, you know, killed upon a cross, murdered upon a cross, you know, uh, for the sake of us who are unrighteous, who are unworthy. Um, and that's, I think, the beautiful point of this text is being able to, again, see the action of God uh, on a over and over and over basis, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New. Well, I think all we can say to that is amen. Pastor Steve Naylor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Grangeville, Idaho, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 18. Pastor Naylor, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you very much. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.